Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. We're going to hear from Paul, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. Big time. I'm mean, Paul. I'm an alcoholic. I am really happy to be in this room with all of you because I know that you know where I'm coming from, and I know that I know where you're coming from. Um, I'm really happy to be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous um, because, so, so I think it's a program of plagiarism because you hear things and you repeat it. So uh, I, I heard somebody say recently, may have been even here, that, that meetings are like dialysis for them. And, uh, and that's true for me. So, so I go to meetings because it's like dialysis. It gets me, it gets me healthy and clean. If I, if I miss meetings, I, my body starts to feel weird. My mind starts to feel weird and, uh, and I just, I just start to go crazy. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, welcome to the newcomers. I still feel like a newcomer myself. Um, so welcome. Uh, my sobriety day is March 5th, 2014, 15 months. And, uh, I have a, that's inappropriate. Uh, I have a sponsor, and uh, my sponsor is a sponsor. In fact, my sponsor's dog even has a sober dog walker, so I feel like that whole that whole thing is uh, pretty good. Happy summer solstice. So, I used to I used to use holidays as an excuse to drink. Right, big holidays like Memorial Day. And Fourth of July, or you know, kind of recent ones. I would also use little ones like Arbor Day in April, or Flag Day, which just happened recently. So, you know, I also used emotions as an ex- as a reason to drink. Right. So, um, when I felt good, I wanted to celebrate and I wanted to drink. When I felt bad, I, I didn't like that feeling, so I drank to, to numb it out. And when I didn't feel anything, when I felt bored, I wanted to drink so I could feel something. Um, I uh, eventually I, I drank because I I could not drink. Right. I, I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't decide when to, when to drink, when not to drink. I just drank. I uh, I grew up in New York City. I'm the youngest of five kids, and uh, my father is uh, an alcoholic. His father is an alcoholic. I uh, back when I grew up in New York, it was uh, very dangerous. So I felt felt scared a lot. I felt anxious. I felt I felt lonely. I felt um, hungry sometimes. Um, I felt like I was never good enough, and that and that's. That's part of the life, the, the, the kind of the household that I grew up in. I also, uh, I was at a meeting last night, and the, the guy shared that his father had only told him, I love you, five times in his lifetime. And I was thinking, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> My father has never said I love you in, in words to me. And that's, that's part of, that's alcoholism. That's the disease. You know, I, I, I'm learning, in fact, it was only recently that I'm, I'm seeing that now, that it's not him, it's, it's the disease. And, and, and that's me now, too. Um, I started, so, so, uh, growing up in this household, I would, you know, being the youngest of five, it was my job to go, go get the wine at night at the dinner table and refill the wine glasses five times through the night. And if God forbid I spilled anything, um, but it was, it was just part of, part of growing up. And starting in high school, I started drinking. Um, my first blackout was on 151 ROM in Central Park. And, uh, a friend of mine got me home. He didn't bring me all the way home. He didn't live in Brooklyn, but he took me to Brooklyn and left me at my train stop. Uh, and then, and then went home. So, so, um, that was, that was okay. You know, I kept drinking. I drank for, I drank for a long time. I drank for decades. And, uh, I tried to control my drinking, just like we heard 
in that reading, I, I tried to limit how much I drank. I tried to drink only beer or wine. I uh, certainly made lists, and at the top of every list was um, drink less. Drink less, and exercise more, and all these other things. And because I never, I couldn't control my drinking, I never got to anything else. Um, I'm an alcoholic, and I, um, I've, I've learned that here, here in AA. But actually, I always kind of suspected it. And so I, always, I kind of had this fear of the sense that this, this, this knowledge that I was probably an alcoholic, and someday I'd have to stop drinking. But I was, that was terrifying. And so I didn't really admit it to myself, but I had the sense. And um, um, one thing is, it's not how far I've heard plagiarism again, it's not how far down you've gone, it's the direction you were headed. So I knew I was in the bad direction. I have an eight-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. Um, I was I was not being a good father. I was drunk. I was I was mean. I was I was angry. I was um, I was bad to them. So I didn't want I didn't want to be that father. Um, um, last year I was in couples counseling with my wife, and oh yeah, I forgot to say. So at Lent, that was the one time I could stop drinking. Was Lent. I, I was raised Catholic, and so I stopped. I stopped drinking when I was during Lent. It's something my my grandfather had done. Apparently, according to my grandmother. He would stop drinking at Lent, and he, then he'd start eating vegetables and start drinking milk, and he became this different person. So I would stop from time to time. Uh, and, then, and then the past couple of years, I couldn't, couldn't stop at Lent, you know, maybe for a couple of days, but that was like... So anyway, last year, um, couples counselor, beginning of Lent, my last drink was Mardi Gras night, and my wife was like, you know, this drinking is really, really bad for our family. It's bad. You need to stop. So I, so I took that to heart, and that got me in the room. And so, um, so, so bit by bit, very slowly, I've been kind of listening and learning about AA and about what it means to be um, sober. And I'm learning a lot. And um, one thing that AA is doing for me is, is what I'm doing through the steps that I'm taking is rewiring my brain. So I used to just have these knee-jerk reactions to drink. And, and through not drinking, I'm, like literally my brain, my thought processes and my, and my, and my physical processes are changing. Um, uh, the, the obsession to drink was, the sort of, sorry, the, the, the compulsion to drink was lifted after a couple months. The obsession is, has been minimized a lot. Uh, I was in Safeway today. And since when does Safeway give shots of vodka as, as samplers? Well, the, the Safeway Oncology, so don't go up there if you're feeling kind of shaky. Sir, would you like to try a, a fruit-infused vodka Drink today. Today, I was like, no, no, thank you. As I was buying yogurt, it was, it was absurd. So, um, so, so, so far, AA is working for me, and it's for me. It's a one day at a time program. I don't take anything for granted. Um, I know it's working through some subtle things. Last last September, I had six months, and um, my uh, my my niece, my daughter's my um, my sister's daughter, sixteen. She's five nine. 70 pounds, and she was admitted to the hospital for the eating disorder in Minneapolis. And uh, my sister couldn't couldn't handle it. My, my family certainly couldn't handle it. Didn't know what to do. So I I flew out because I heard that you can show up when you're sober. Nay, you can show up and you can be there. And that's what I did, and, and that helped. Um, what else? Uh, a week before my one year anniversary, um, my wife said she wants to get divorced, split up. And so that was, that's hard. That's been difficult. Uh, and I haven't picked up. And um, let's see, four weeks ago she moved out, told our kids, uh, splitting half time with them, 50-50. It is a, it's a very trying, trying experience. And I'm so glad, grateful that I'm sober to, to experience it. It's really painful, right? But, um, but because I'm sober, I can, I, can, I can actually do it and be, be involved in it and not just run away. Um, 
my um, student running on my phone. Today, my son lost his first tooth. He's uh, he's, he's traveling with his uh, his sister and and their mom. They're on the east coast, and he lost his first tooth. I knew it was going to come out. It was, it was hanging by a thread, and so she took a picture and sent it to me. He's got a big smile, and uh, he's very proud. And I, I felt a little bit of melancholy because I couldn't be there. But, you know, I put that emotion kind of in its place. And I recognize that tomorrow's Father's Day. And his birthday is Thursday. He's going to turn seven on Thursday, and he's not going to be here for that. So these things kind of add up. And if I wanted to dwell on them, I could get really bummed out. And uh, I'm actually in a pretty optimistic kind of good place right now because of the program, and because of talking to other alcoholics, and because of getting advice from people who have been through this before, and because of not picking up a drink. So um, so that's, for me, we talk about cash and prizes. For me, that's the that's like the cash and prizes, is that I can, oh yeah, the cash and prizes that I don't get upset over. I can't, I can live my life, and kind of live on life's terms. And um, I just want to say that I, I know that my kids know that I love them, and and, and that I'm, I'm sober to be in their life. And that, uh, for me, is the cash and prize. That's, that's important to me. So keep coming back. If you're new, keep coming back if you're old. Uh, thanks. And now Kitty is going to share with us for as much as she would like until 8.55. I'm Kitty. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm visiting from uh, New York City where I live. I am currently in the Bay Area doing an internship. It's been really awesome. I really like um, the meetings around here. I've made this one a couple times. I really like chips and cake on Thursday. It's a tearjerker. <laughs> it's been really awesome. Uh, everybody's been really welcoming, and um, I'm just really happy to be here. There's a lot of fucking people here right now. <laughs> I don't think I've ever um, spoke to this many people before. Um, you know, uh, actually, last last week at Chips and Cake, like people were talking about, like I forget the theme was kind of like nervousness. Some people were getting up in front of a microphone. And they're like, you know, I'm really nervous speaking in front of this microphone. And like in New York, like we sit, we don't. Stands. I mean, I've done meetings in other places, so I hate to break to you. California is like the only place I feel like <laughs> they make you stand in front of a microphone. And I'm like, you know, you're probably nervous because they're making you stand in front of a microphone. Like it's, it's not, um, it's kind of unusual. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not used to this. Um, but, um, I um, want to share uh, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, actually, I want to um, I want to thank Dan for asking me to speak. Uh, Naomi and Dan asked me. You know, they've been friends of mine since I was a year sober. I'll be ten years sober in August. And, um, they're the real deal. Like I've been staying with them in their house. They've generously welcomed me with open arms, like rent feet free. They feed me, they take me to meetings. They unconditionally love me and their house is full of sober people. And their car is like, 
you know, the relapse mobile. It's like full of people counting days in the back. It's constant. It really is. It's like a constant, you know, they're, they are really, they're just really legit in this program. And, um, and I just feel really fortunate to be their friends and, um, also that I'm here with them and they asked me to be here. So it's very, um, it means that they um, think highly of me, and I feel like I'm about to disappoint them, but that's okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, war stories. I was like, "What do you talk about for 40 minutes?" They were like, "It's Saturday night, like fucking war stories. <laughs> People want the good shit, you know. <laughs> you know, um, we'll see." <laughs> There is a microphone, and I was, like, wondering if, like, you know, the statute of limitations ran out on a couple things. I'm, I frequently share in a meeting. I think I'm okay. Um, so we'll see if it comes up. But, um, yeah, I, I um, let's see, my first drink, I was probably 13, maybe 12. You know, honestly, um, I am like a child of the eighties and I was given prescription drugs when I was like six and they made me really ampy. So then they would give me like clonidine, which is kind of like clonopan. I was like seven, you know? So, um, and, um, so it kind of feels like my first drink was just a continuation of kind of the way that I came up, which is that, you know, um, drugs were the way to kind of manage the way that you feel. And, um, today I actually identify as being like abused with medication. Um, but, um, but, um, you know, at the time I think too, it's a product of, psychotherapy of that era it's like totally okay to give you know mild methamphetamines to children i, I still think it's okay but um i mean as long as they're like someone else's children but, um it's a good time at the museum um but i think my first drink was um with this girl jessica she was a bad girl she was like two years older than me and i had met her in this program i was doing because um i before i ever picked up a drink i was a mess there were so many problems you know i did not want to go to school. I distinctly remember being in like in sixth grade and just being like, I just do not want to go to school. And about the time of seventh grade, um, you know, I just like refused to get out of bed and you know, things would get like physical in my house. Like my parents had no problem, you know, dragging me out of bed and, and you know, it was just like a lot of chaos and turmoil just to get me out of the bus. So I figured that out that if I just got on the school bus and it took me to school and then I just got off the school bus and walked home, by the time I got home, they were gone. And it literally took them months to figure out that I was doing this. And, um, you know, it was, I just remember it just being like really painful. And I think, um, I think a lot of it was like about my home environment, but it was also just like, you know, a maladjustment to life. And I know the book says, you know, it's not enough that we were maladjusted to life. I'm like, well, we can be that too. You know, we really can. And I just didn't have a lot of skills. Um, and so basically to cope. And so 
when drugs and alcohol came along, it was like the solution to a lot of problems for me. And um, so I was like in this school that was basically like a truancy school. And I'm like 13 and I'm surrounded by 16 year olds. So, um, and that's, you know, interesting, but, um, cause that stuff is scary when you're 13 and your friends are driving and some of them are having babies and everyone's doing math. And so you, of course, when the alcohol's pushed your way, you're going to say, yeah, you know, so, um, my first drink was at my house. It was with Jessica. She was like, let's bust in your parents' liquor cabinet. And there they had a bottle of tequila. And she took this really mean swig. And I took this, like, really kind of meek swig. And then she took this really, you know, mean swig. And so I took a mean swig. And next thing I know, I swear to God, within maybe two minutes, it's escalated to where she is completely violently drunk. And um, my dad comes home. Shit. <laughs> And he's like, what the fuck is going on here, you know? And she, like, completely freaks out and starts, like, attacking him. <laughs> and, like, biting him. It was, like, some fucking basalt episode. It was like, the weirdest. I didn't even know what was happening. You know, she was just violently, violently drunk. And he, like, calls the cops and an ambulance took her away. And I was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And, um... And I was like, you know, like my dad is like, you know, the ambulance leaves and he's like, you know, what the fuck is happening? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, can I go over to Sarah's house? And he was like, no. And I was like, fuck you. And I left. And that was like, basically like, that's so much described as my drinking career. I like right there. Like that right in a nutshell is pretty much, um, cause it was also, I feel like, you know, the reason that I remember that is because it was also the first time I defied my father in a way like that. So there, it was a real game changer for me and um, drinking, not just because of my social relationships, but also because um, when I drank, you know, I felt like I didn't have to feel the way that I was feeling. And, um, um, you know, it, it fixed a lot of things for me. It, it helped me cope. Um, so... So I, I would say, you know, you know, I was, by the time I was banging dope on a daily basis, I wasn't even 16. So, you know, we can skip on that because really that was just like kind of some foreplay for the real thing, which was. For me, it was heroin. And I don't mean to diss other drugs. Like, I <laughs> love cocaine like the next addict, you know. <laughs> but I really did not like uh, meth and coke or psychedelics because it was, like, hyper-reality. Like, and I just could not stand that. You know, it was, like, reality times ten. And, um, I am really into drinking and benzodiazepines and heroin. I like downers because I really like to turn down the lights all the way. I like to, you know, I like to drink till I'm unconscious. That's my, 
you know, drinking and using history. I used and drank till I passed out. Um, and when I woke up, it would start all over again. You know, I, I would like to think that some mornings I woke up, woke up and there was some left, but I could never pull that off. If I could, I probably wouldn't be here. I'd still be out there because, you know, if there's someone you, if you can save some till the morning. So, um, so I, I feel like, uh, my real, uh, drug and alcohol use was, it was just like full on at a very young age. And, you know, it was easy in the beginning because you're like a 16 year old girl. <laughs> right? So it's not that hard. Uh, you get away with a lot, you know, um, you know, um, including being arrested, you know, or hustling money or saying, I didn't do that or, oh no, not me, you know, so it was, it was kind of easy. Um, and I ran with some crazy people and, um, it was kind of fun sometimes, um, only because it was dangerous. And, you know, my, I'm originally from Chicago and, um, I realized that drug economies are different all over um, the country, but in Chicago, you cop in open air drug markets. So, you know, you'd be rolling into Cabrini Green, uh, you know, walking up, you know, the project outdoor steps to go into like a room that's guarded by dudes in ski masks with like huge weapons to cop your like $10 bags of dope. And this was fine. You know, it was, you know, it was like how you did it. And, um, and, um, you know, I probably prefer it that way. I, I feel like later in my um, drinking and using, uh, you know, it became a lot more costlier to live like that. You got warrants and all kinds of craziness. So you, you do you do get more fearful, as we will all find out in my story. But um, but in the beginning, it was like balls out for me, and um, the uh, drug addict lifestyle agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, you know, it, it did get gnarly pretty quick. My first AA meeting, I was 16, 17. I was, uh, mandated to go. Uh, I don't remember anything about it. I think I got high with someone at that meeting eventually. Um, but the first time I landed in detox earnestly, um, I was, uh, 19, and by that time, I had already caught a felony case. I had already been living on the streets. I had, you know, kind of cycled through um, a lot of people that I knew. And I was kind of a lone wolf by the time I was 19. And I landed um, in a detox outside of Chicago. And I had a, a really bad kidney infection I had been walking around with for a really long time. And you know, the doctor took one look at me and he, he basically got me into this treatment center, um, you know, on doctor's orders because he was like, you're, you're basically going to die if you don't get sober. So that was the first time I, 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 I wanted to get sober, you know, um, and I wanted to get sober, um, 
because I was sick of running like that. You know, it's cold in Chicago. <laughs> it's not, it is not fun being homeless in Chicago. Let me tell you, uh, that is a mean city. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy for me anymore. Even though I was 19, I looked tore up and, um, and, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to live like that anymore. But I also didn't want to stop getting high. And, um, you know, I went from long-term, not really long-term, maybe 90 days, um, maybe 30, maybe somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> I have terrible memories. Lots of overdoses, so you'll have to excuse me. There's like a couple of, you know, years missing. It's all right. I don't I don't miss them, but, um, <laughs> I, um, I went to a three quarter house in Chicago and I was like doing the deed and I got a little jobby job and I was going to meetings and, and I would chip on the weekend. And, uh, I probably had a couple months before I picked up and I would chip with some other, some guys at the three quarter guys house down the street. We'd go down the south side of Chicago and get some really good dope and we'd all, you know, take a, like a Saturday night vacation. Um, and had that worked, I would probably still do that today. I mean, really when people are like, yeah, I have a drug problem, you know, every Saturday night I get a little bit fucked up and I'm like, but do you have a job? and you have a place to stay, well, what's the problem, you know? Because to me, that's like a successful thing. <laughs> you know, like, if you can drink and use like that, then, like, why are, why, like, what's the problem? Like, a, because, um, you know, if I could do that, that was like my measure of success. And, you know, I have a lot of empathy. Like I just heard a story not too long ago, someone who was like coming into the rooms of AA and, you know, and they were like saying that they had time, but they were so full of self delusion because they were chipping you know, and I have a lot of empathy for that because to me, I'm like, that's the real mark of a drug addict right there. Like that's some real, that's some real shit right there. If you are, if you really, really believe that you're sober and you're chipping on the weekends, you belong here. Welcome. <laughs> have a seat, you know, and you're not alone because, you know, we do that. Like, you know, self-delusion is my, like, that's my biggest character defect. That's the danger spot for me because I can tell myself all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, to me, like, I had it together. You know, I had a job and I was, you know, like, enrolled in classes at a, you know, downtown Chicago. And, you know, I shoot heroin on the weekend. It's, you know, it was a great plan. It didn't last that long. Because I, you know, I have an insatiable desire to use more. It's never enough. You know, I thought if I use every once in a while or if I use and I can save some till morning or, you know, all that self-delusion when we're drinking and using, um, you know, I, I, I could never do that. 
So um, it didn't take long for me to be back out there again. And, uh, you know, I hit, I hit a pretty hard bottom. And, uh, like, I was just total lone wolf. I had a couple of people who would, you know, reach out to me if someone died and I, I wouldn't return their phone call for two weeks. I might show up at the funeral. I disappointed a lot of people. Um, you know, I preferred it that way. I like to be by myself. I like to get high by myself. I was living in a basement apartment um, where I, like, basically was fucking the landlord to be able to stay there because I couldn't scrape together enough money to pay the rent. And I was, you know, walking distance from the dope spot, which is like my criteria because I didn't have a car. Um, and I would like hang out with a couple other people who were, who could use and drink like I used and drank. But for the most part, it was just me in that apartment on a mattress on the floor with no sheets with like a television that was like super staticky with cheers on because it's like three in the morning when I come to always, you know, and uh, like foils and needles just everywhere, you know, so no food, no toilet paper. And, you know, I stayed there for years. I wish I could say like, I was like, oh my God, you know, why am I living like this? But honestly, I really didn't have a problem with the way I was living. I mean, I felt like a piece of shit. Don't get me wrong. You know, I wasn't proud of myself. You know, I was, I was ashamed, but at the same time, you know, I, I, you know, I, I had a desire to get sober, but I also, you know, I, I didn't really have a choice anymore. And, um, once in a while, I'll come back around the rooms. I might be able to put together like five days, usually after I was released from jail. Because once you got that 48 hours in, you might as well go to five days. <laughs> it's true, right? Everybody's laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I just I didn't have a choice anymore. And... Um, yeah, it was a, it was dark. I, you know, I just think about this very, since it is Saturday night, we will war story it up. You know, I have a, just this very distinct, um, memory of, and I know it's a totally, it's like a, so trite in A, when people are like, and then I looked in the mirror, but it's true. <laughs> it's totally true. It was one of those moments, you know, you look in the mirror and I was really skinny. I had, um, been hospitalized for, um, endocarditis, which is an infection that you get in your blood when you shoot dope. And it basically means you're shooting garbage into your veins. And, um, like I had ended up in the emergency room and they're like, do you have a heart murmur? And I was like, no, um, <laughs> because, um, basically my heart, my whole body was so systemically infected that my heart valves weren't closing. So I couldn't actually like pump any blood. <laughs> and, um, and I was so sick. It actually was a pain in my right side. Um, cause I was walking around and, but, um, you know, they put me in a room and <clears throat> like basically put me on the infectious disease unit and I was so dehydrated. I was so sick. 
and I was so thin that they could not take any blood from me. And I actually had a couple good veins, but I wouldn't, sh I wouldn't give it to them, you know, because <laughs> that is mine. And I'm still like that. I was, <laughs> I was just, I went to the doctor not too long ago and they wanted to take blood and I thought, should I help them? And I was like, nah, because, you know, I'm, I think that way, but I wasn't about to give them my good veins. And, you know, they can really only hit you a certain amount of times before they have to, I think, like, wait 24 hours or something. So they couldn't actually tell me what was wrong with me, but they were freaked the fuck out. Like, they looked at me and they basically put me in, like, an Ebola tent. They were like, we're going to give you... Your own room. <laughs> you know, and it was a teaching hospital, so like 25 people would like shuffle in with like these weird like hazmat suits. <laughs> you know, and my, and my, my, my friend is bringing me dope. And, uh, I convinced them to give me methadone and I'm getting morphine for the pain. And you know, it's like, it's not enough. You know, I can't wait to get out of there. So, um, so yeah, so I never really, I never really recovered from endocarditis. I never put that any weight on or, you know, I was just, I was really physically sick and I was 24 years old and I was really, really sick. I was like, I had, um, you know, like a permanent eye infection that I, you know, I just was neglecting. I had broken teeth in my mouth. Um, I had bruises all over my arms from tying off because I was just, I didn't, I wasn't hydro. Like I would just bruise at everything. And I had just track marks all up and down my arm. I was just a fucking wreck. And, um, you know, I used to like work in an escort service and I would, you know, put on boots and put on the same fucking dress <laughs> And I would take this Mary Kay makeup. I highly recommend it. A lot of coverage. I would squirt it into my hand and rub it. And I would just rub it all over my arms to cover up, you know, my track marks. And, you know, that was my life for a long time. For a really, really long time. Like I said, I hit a bottom and I just stayed there. And, um... I really started wanting to get sober only when the drugs stopped working for me. If they continued to work, I probably would have been happy to stay there, but it started doing numbers on me. I started getting really paranoid. I thought everyone was, I thought I couldn't actually score any good dope. I thought everybody was kind of, not like a conspiracy, like a oh, meth induced psychosis conspiracy, but I was like, basically felt like everyone in the world was burning me because no matter how much dope I did, I would never really got high, but I would pass out. So I would be sober and I would just do bag after bag after bag after bag. And I would be like, I don't feel anything. And the next thing I know, I'd like wake up 12 hours later. I mean, it was like, you know, it was insanity and it just like totally stopped working for me. And, um, you know, I was obsessed. Um, so I, um, I, you know what happened? I, I did a couple geographics and, um, what happened was I turned myself in on some warrants that I had been running from for a while. I have a couple felony convictions, but this one in particular was really haunting me and making me really paranoid. And, um, 
you know, I got really worried that I was going to get caught up and I had dried out for a little bit and I thought, you know, now's the time to do it. And I, I really thought what was going to happen is that I was going to go and spend a weekend there and it was kind of going to be like, I was trying to put my life together. So I thought I would go for like three, four days and maybe I would find, you know, I had my own plan, right, about how I was going to do this. Because I, I, at that time, you know, I really did want to clean up my life. I didn't necessarily want to stop drinking, but I did want to clean up my life and I wanted to stop running. And the judge was like, oh, no, you're not going anywhere. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So I had a really high bond. And there wasn't anyone who was going to bail me out anyway. And I sat in jail for a long time. And um, they offered me drug court. I didn't want to do it because it would mean that if I fucked up, which I invariably would, um, that I would have to do the full time. And I figured, you know, six years actually means a year and a half if I do this and time served in a, in a little vocational program or something like that. So I was all ready to go to prison and they – you know, sent me kicking and screaming to rehab. And it, you know, I was a year sober before I was allowed to be by myself. And that's, that's how I got sober. That's just my story. A lot of people, you know, they go to a meeting and they never drink again. That was not how I got sober. I literally could not, I didn't even trust myself when I was a year sober. Um, and it wasn't really till I was a year sober that I could actually sit down in a meeting and hear what was going on as well. And, um, so what really happened for me isn't necessarily where I dried out. What happened for me was when I was a year sober and I, I left, you know, the transitional living place that I was living in and I started going to a home group and I used to go to a home group in Chicago on Monday nights. It was a big book meeting and on Wednesday nights it was a 12 and 12 meeting. And they would read an entire chapter. They split up we agnostics and working with others. Um, but I sat in a chair and I listened to people. It was a meeting where you get called on. So, um, and, um, and I just listened. And it took me a really, really, really long time to figure out what was going on. <laughs> you know, like if you're new and it sounds like everyone is speaking some weirdo, you know, language or, you know, you really just do not understand. Um, if you read the book, you will understand. And one of the things I really find the book helpful for is not just to understand what people are saying that comes out of the book. But what to understand that is not coming out of the book, which is also a survival skill in this program. It's really important to know what the program um, is really talking about and what um, someone else has, like, made up as their own rules to AA. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's, you know, it's important and you'll find, and you'll find all that in the book. So I just, you know, I love that meeting. Um, I... Uh, you know, there was a, you know, a, a friend of mine, um, Frank, who I still talk to, he, uh, he was the, he was the hottest fucking gay man in the room. And he was like, come here, kitty. Like he would always save me a seat, you know? So, um, and I love that he loved me, you know, cause it was an all gay men's meeting and he was like, come on, we're the cool kids. And so I came to that meeting and that's why, you know, I came because someone saved me a seat. 
and they made me feel included. And we went out for ice cream afterwards. And, you know, he made me feel like, you know, important. And so I just kept going back to that meeting and I heard people talking about, you know, I heard people reading the book out loud and then I heard people with real time talking about it. And it was like a slow awakening for me. Like I finally started to really understand what was happening in this room. Oh, you guys are talking about the big book. That's what's happening. You know, you're working these steps, you know, and uh, it was a hardcore, it was a hardcore meeting, which is what I needed. You know, we didn't say that we were alcoholics. We would say I'm kitty and I'm powerless over alcohol because that's the way that the steps describe it. And to me, there is a distinction. You know, I knew I drank alcoholically. I could call myself a problem drinker, but I didn't really concede to my inner self that I was powerless because you know Saturdays right so you know as long as you got that under wraps you know you, there's no need to, to do that first step so um, so conceding to my innermost self that I was alcoholic you know that that took some time and some distance that really did because um, you know I was really feral and insane when I came around here and I was really untrusting and, um, it took me a long time to just relax and, um, and really, and really understand, um, my lack of power over using and drinking. Um, I, I wish I could say that I embraced the steps and did the steps you know, wholeheartedly. But like I said, I, I, it takes me a long time to figure stuff out. For me, it's been that I do the steps over and over and over again. Um, and uh, I have gone through one through 12 about six times in the 10 years that I've been sober. And, um, you know, those four steps get shorter and shorter, not just because, um, you know, I do less damage, which I don't, I do a lot of damage in recovery, but, um, <laughs> but because I, I, you know, I, I have all that practice at that 10 step and like, I, I feel more confident about what it is that I'm doing and I understand how to use these tools. Um, when I work with sponsees, I have them do a, like the, the workbook sheet, you know, like the small little Dallas B, if anyone uses those, I highly recommend those. Those are awesome because, um, my four step was like, uh, the diary of a madman. Like I really just need, like, I just need this much to really talk about it. That's what I need. I need that sort of discipline. Um, those have been really helpful to me, um, to sort of anything to sort of help me understand how these steps operate. Um, and my life now is, you know, infinitely better. You know, I, I feel like I've been through a lot in these rooms. I became seriously depressed when I was about five years sober. And I was so depressed that I started having intrusive, involuntary intrusive thoughts. And, you know, my friends intervened and I had to go like on, you know, some psych meds for a while just to kind of like even out the body, body chemistry that was happening for me because I was actually going through like PTSD like symptoms over some stuff that was happening in my life. And, uh, it like, you know, just threw me into therapy, which I had never embraced. Um, it threw me into working on some shit that I just never wanted to look at. 
Um, I also, you know, I've had a lot of grief too. So, um, you know, this, it doesn't mean when you get sober, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. Um, but I am free. The fact that I can wake up in the morning and the first thought in my head isn't about drugs and alcohol is so powerful. It's such a powerful miracle for me. Um, the fact that I can just like really do anything or go anywhere. Cause I could never do that before. I could never ever go like more than arm's reach from drugs or more than, you know, walking distance from a dope spot. Like I couldn't get on a plane and go to a wedding or not that that was like, would be my first choice, but <laughs> that's just like one of the things that like, there was so much I could not do, you know, because I was just chained to my addiction and it was all consuming. It was 24 seven. It was never ending. And the fact that that is such a, like, it seems so far away from me right now. I really, I'm very in touch with that feeling, but I also, I can go days without thinking about heroin <laughs> and I can go to a bar and be around people who are drinking. I have no desire to drink none whatsoever. Like, it's just like the book says, you know, that it's like, you know, you just feel like that indifference. You feel that protection. Like I don't have to obsess about drugs and alcohol. You know, I can psych myself out, but the true obsession comes after that first one for now. As long as I, you know, stay sober one day at a time, that it's not really an obsession. It's just that self-delusion. So, um, I'm just, I'm really, um, I am really grateful for the life I have today. I did, um, figure out that school shit. I recently graduated from Columbia University, summa cum laude. Which, you know, I did not because I'm really smart, but because I'm an obsessive, controlling alcoholic, and I still consider that a victory. Um, but it's also, it's something I like to share in the rooms because it was really trying with all that school shit. You know, it did a number on me. I, I'm sober today. I realize how much actually I'm my own, um, limitation. Like I did not get sober to push pencils or to just, just get along in life. Like I really, really am deeply, um, devoted to like unpacking all that shit and embracing everything life has to offer and going for everything. And, um, and I feel like as long as I stay sober, I'll always have that opportunity. So thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.